Well, hey there, everyone. We are in our final message in the series, Restoring Rhythms. And I hope that through this series over these last few weeks that the Lord has encouraged you and that you've been able to find some new rhythms in your home and in your lives uh, or maybe restore some rhythms as well. Uh, So we're going to close out today by looking at, at what I believe is one of the most important rhythms that we need to have in our lives as followers of Jesus. And we'll get to that just in just a second here. A few weeks ago, we kicked off this series and I spoke about the fact that God dances. I talked about how in the Trinity, we see this relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as they move together, as they respond to each other. Uh, And there's, there's this beautiful union and there's this incredible unity that exists within the Godhead. And the amazing thing is, through scripture, we saw that God invites us into that dance, that In fact, the the whole reason that Jesus came to earth, the reason that he lived the life he lived, that he died the death he died, and that he was raised again to life, was to bring us back into relationship with the Godhead, to have that intimacy, to be brought back into that dance, and that we would have this rhythm. And the whole picture of that dancing is this, that there's a rhythm that takes place in dance. Uh, and it's beautiful, and it's life-giving. And, uh, and, and at times, the, as the music speeds up, the, the dance will speed up, and as the music slows down, that the dance would follow suit. And that in the kingdom of God, there is this spirit-led music that we dance our lives according to and that God invites us into this dance with him where we can experience him, experience him and delight in him and enjoy his presence. And so we've talked about uh, the importance of restoring rhythms in our worship and in our times with the Lord in prayer uh, and, and uh, silence and Sabbath and rest and restoring rhythms of rest where we can slow down and just be to to stop this the pressure of performing especially in a year like we've had where uh, maybe you feel like you've not been as productive as you should be and uh, there's certainly place for work we talked about the fact that there is a a rhythm of work that God establishes in fact in Genesis chapter 1 right out of the gate we see that God worked for six days but on the seventh day he rested and he invites us into that same rest. We've talked about the rhythm of being in, in relationship with other people and walking in compassion and grace and love and uh, setting aside harshness and condemnation and loving people the way God's called us to love. We've talked about rhythms. Uh, in fact, last Sunday talked about the, the rhythm of being in our homes and, and just that practicing the, the rhythm of the table, being at the table. And I hope this week you were able to do that that you spend time at the table, that you made some fun meals together. I encourage you to keep that rhythm going. Discover new rhythms as the weather warms up a little bit and as summer comes that we would find rhythms to be outside and be with each other and uh, put our devices away, get off of our electronics and, and be with the people that God has placed in our surroundings, in, uh, in our family, in our community and uh, with, with our neighbors, and uh, especially as restrictions lift and we're able to re-engage uh, safely and, and, of course, responsibly and at the comfort level that you have, recognizing that some, some people feel more of that freedom and others are a little more reticent, and that's okay, but that we would reclaim those rhythms. And so that's what we've been talking about. But today I want to speak to us about meeting God in His Word. 
meeting God in his words. I believe it's one of the most essential and one of the best places for us to meet God and that the rhythm of meeting God in his word is such an essential part of our lives as followers of Jesus. In fact, if we want to grow and mature as believers uh, in God, as children of God, we, we have to be in the word. There's no way to grow and mature in the kingdom of God apart from being in the word. If we neglect this one critical area, we will not grow. We will be stunted in our growth. We will remain immature and, and we have to press in. We have to make the discipline and the rhythm of being in God's word a priority in our lives. And so that's what I'd like to end this series on. We're going to take, take some time today to talk about what it means to be in the word. Why does God invite us to join him in his word? The Apostle Paul writes to his son in the faith, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and he says this, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I'm going to read it again. All scripture all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You capture in this, you see how practical, useful, and timely the word of God is. That as we would come to the word, as we would uh, engage the scriptures, as we would take God's word and hide it in our hearts, as the psalmist writes, and we'll read in just a minute, that it does something to us, that it transforms our lives, that it, 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 it has an impact in a very practical way in our lives. It is practical, it is useful, and it is timely. I want to illustrate this for a minute by using a very practical illustration. See, we understand the importance of study in our lives. We, under, we understand the importance of, of building and gaining knowledge and growing in, in, in wisdom and understanding. Uh, and I'll use, there's, so, there's a myriad of examples that I could use, but I'll use two. Uh, if you've ever driven over a bridge, which many of us do on a daily basis, or if you've ever gone for any kind of surgery. Now, you probably don't do that on a daily basis, but maybe at some point you've had to go in for surgery, no matter how minor or major. If you've done either of those things, which many of us have, I would, I would guess that everyone has driven across a bridge or maybe flown on an airplane. Here's what you're assuming. You're assuming that the engineer that built that bridge, that not just built it, but that designed that bridge and did the testing to make sure it could handle the load that it was supposed to be subject to, you're assuming that that engineer went to school and studied and got a degree and has put in the, the, the time and, and, the, the, the ex and gained the experience to do the job that they do so that they can build bridges that are safe enough for us to drive across. Or if you get on an airplane to fly someone, you might not be thinking this, but there's an underlying assumption that says, I'm assuming that the person who, or the team that created this aircraft, that built this aircraft, 
put in the time to, to study and understand their craft so that I'm safe, so that the bridge doesn't collapse or the plane uh, doesn't fall out of the sky. Same thing with surgery. You're assuming that that surgeon went through the process of gaining the wisdom and understanding and the knowledge they needed to be able to do the work on your physical being that they need to do. And so just, just in that simple analogy, in that simple illustration, here's my point, is, is we recognize the importance of understanding and wisdom on a daily basis in, in most of the things that we do. Even if it's underlying, even if it's not at the forefront of our thinking, our lives are really built and based around that. So when it comes to the Word of God, when it comes to understanding and wisdom that comes from the Word of God, it would really be no different. Well, you might say, well, I'm not a surgeon, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a, an engineer. Uh, maybe when it comes to the Word of God, you might think, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a theologian. But the truth is, is that God calls all of us that would call on His name, that would call ourselves believers, Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, those who have put their faith in Jesus, that he calls all of us to grow in our understanding and wisdom and our knowledge of who he is, that we would be more thoroughly equipped to, to be the people that he's called us to, to be. So let me go back to 2 Timothy here for a second. So Paul says that that the word of God, that all scripture is God-breathed, so it, it originates from him, it comes from him. In fact, when I speak words out loud, as I'm speaking these words, there is breath that is coming out of my mouth. So these words are breathed out, and in the same way that God breathes out, not with a physical breath, but by his spirit, that he breathes out these words, and that every word that he has breathed out that we have in scripture is useful to us, that it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. See, there's no shortcuts. You, you don't become an engineer by taking shortcuts, uh, at least not the kind of engineer that I would want to put my trust in. You don't become a surgeon by taking shortcuts. You have to put in that work. And so the work of Scripture, what it does when we come to the Word of God is it teaches us that it rebukes us, that it corrects us, and it trains us. It teaches us, it, it teaches us truth, that we learn what the truth is through the word of God, that we learn what the truth is. Jesus said in, in Matthew 28 that the disciples, he commissions them in the Great Commission, he says to go into all the world, preach the gospel, right, to, to make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. That teaching component is so important that God's word will teach us. It will, it will teach us truths that we do not know. It will show us things that we do not yet know. And that teaching part is so critical for us. Paul says that scripture is useful for rebuking because we get it wrong. We miss the mark. In fact, that's the definition of sin right there is missing the mark. It's not hitting the target. And so Paul says to Timothy, and he says to us, that Scripture will rebuke us. Now, we don't like that word. I'm not a big fan of being rebuked. But I do need to know when I'm doing something wrong, that I need to be teachable. I need to be able to receive from the Word of God instruction about what I, the places where I am missing the mark. And God's Word is faithful in pointing those things out. I love that when I'm reading the Bible, 
that, that so often what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing on that page, what I'm, what I'm absorbing into my spirit by his spirit will so gently remind me, you're, you're not doing this. You're, you're missing the mark in this way. And it's not a point of condemnation. In fact, the same writer, Paul, writes in Romans that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So it's not to condemn. It's to really protect and to, to guard our lives. So God's word will teach us and it will rebuke us. It'll point out the places where we're missing the mark. It will correct us. Paul goes on to say that God's word is useful for correcting. So it's not just enough that I I know what I'm not doing correctly. The places where I'm getting it wrong, the places where you're getting it wrong. Wouldn't that be a bummer if it was just like, this is where you're getting it wrong. Okay, now what? God goes that extra, extra step and he says, I will now correct. I will bring you back into line. I will get you on the right path, living the way that you're called to live as a child of God. And so there's this teaching, rebuking, the correcting, and then training, the training part. Training gives us the strength that we need to move forward. When an athlete goes into training, they make decisions about what they will and will not do, what they will and will not eat. They follow a rigorous schedule. If you're an Olympic level athlete, you've spent years, if not decades, following a a strict regimen of diet and exercise in order to be at the very peak condition to compete at a level with, uh, with similar athletes, the very top athletes from around the world. That doesn't happen without training. And we understand this again in our, in our own lives. If we, if we want to be in any kind of physical shape, in healthy physical shape, if we want to lose weight, we recognize that doesn't just happen by thinking about it or hoping that it would happen. It happens because there's a level of discipline and training that would be there. God says that we need to engage his word so that we be, may be trained. And then Paul says this. He says that we would receive training in righteousness, in right living, in living the right way before God. And then he concludes the thought to Timothy and he says, so that the servant of God, that would be you and me, may be thoroughly equipped, not partially equipped, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That everything that God would call us to do, every way that he is calling us to live our lives, he wants to equip us for, that he wants to train us so that we would not lack anything. In fact, Paul writes that as well, that, that, that God has given us everything we need, everything we need to live godly lives, to live for him. But we have to restore the rhythm of meeting him in his word, of knowing and learning what we do not know, of being taught and equipped and trained and rebuked and corrected and, and all of those things on an ongoing basis. See, it's most useful. This is most useful when it's engaged with daily. And, and I would say even more than just once a day, but throughout the day. And we're going to talk about some practical ways of doing that. See, this rhythm of being in the Word is something that we see all throughout Scripture. And I want to highlight a couple of passages, and we'll talk about some practical points of application for us today. Going back to the Psalms in the Old Testament, I want to read out of Psalm 1. Uh, In fact, I'm going to read a few different Psalms. 
David writes this, King David writes this in Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, the very first Psalm. He says, blessed, it, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Whatever they do prospers. So he paints this, this picture. He shows us this image, this very vivid image of this person, that this blessed person who has rejected the way of the wicked or has not stood in the way of sinners or, or, or gone the way that sinners take, not lived their lives in the way that, that misses the mark, or sit in the company of mockers, those who would mock God or, or feel like they, they have their lives together and they don't need God. Those, that's what the mockers here would be. He says that those who are blessed are the ones who delight in the law of the Lord. And the law of the Lord is another term for God's word, for scripture. Those who delight in the law of the Lord. He says this word delight, and it shows up many times in scripture. I love this word, this word delight. See, something that's delightful is not heavy or burdensome. David says that the person who is blessed delights themselves in the word of God, in the law of the Lord. And, and it might even seem like those two terms, delight and law, might be contradictory because we understand the law to be something that is restrictive. But, but in reality, the law of the Lord is something that brings freedom. It's not intended to restrict. It's intended to bring life all, and, and Jesus even talks about this, even as he was addressing those who, would, you know, who asked him about the Old Testament law, the, the, the Old Testament covenant law, the Mosaic law. Do, do, do we not need that anymore? And Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And in Jesus, we have the fulfillment of God's word, both in the Old Testament, now in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus is God's word. He is the one who who was revealed. He is the word of truth. And so delight is meant to really counter this idea that law is heavy or burdensome. The one who is blessed delights themselves in the law of the Lord. I delight myself in a number of things. I delight myself in being with my wife, spending time with her. Uh, I delight myself in being with my my family and my kids. Uh, we delight ourselves in in uh, in cooking and enjoying a meal, it's one of our favorite things to do. We we love to experiment and make different meals, and uh, different different people in our family have different skills when it comes to cooking, and so we love to practice our respective skills so that we can enjoy a great meal together. It's something that that we just love to do. We we love to travel. It's one of the things we we enjoy doing. We we love going to the beach. It's a it's a favorite of ours, and those are things that are our delights we look forward to them we, we we don't you know as summer is even coming and it's warming up and we're thinking oh we're gonna get to go to the beach a lot more and and we're it's not like we're going oh 
we have to go to the beach and it's such a bummer, you know, because we live in California and it's just what you do. Don't really want to do it, but we'll do it because we not at all. We, we can't wait. We love to be out on the beach and play games and be in the water and swim. So a delight is something that, that fills us, that excites us. So David says that the person who is blessed, the person who understands what it, it means to walk with God, finds this joy, finds this filling, is, is, has the sense of delight when it comes to God's word. And can I just tell you, I know so many Christians, myself included, where that might not have been the case. Maybe you grew up in a, in a church culture that with good intentions really kind of forced the Bible reading in a way that didn't bring delight, but maybe felt more burdensome. But this is, God's word is a gift to you. Can I just say, God's gift is a blessing and a a gift to you. That's the way he intended it. That's part of his expression of his love. It's part of his invitation for you to dance with him. And so this word delight, I, in fact, I, I, I wish we could just, as we think about God's word, that, that every time we would c- contemplate and think about the reading of God's word, that there would be that sense of delight that would just rise up in us, that we would just make that word so forefront in our thinking. He goes on to say, I could, I could stay here a while, but we've, we're, we're on a time schedule, so I'll, I'll keep moving forward. David goes on to say, he says that this person, this blessed person meditates on the law. He meditates on the word of God day and night. And this is important for us in this series because it talks about that rhythm. In fact, in that first message in the series, I talked about the rhythm of day and night. We have the rhythm of seasons. We see in nature, in God's creation, these rhythms that exist, and that the rhythm here of day and night, of being in God's word, to delight in his word and meditate on his word day and night. Now, he's not saying, he's not prescribing a methodology here. What David is saying is that the person who is blessed, who delights himself in the law of the Lord, will meditate on that law, on that word, on the scripture throughout their day in the evenings in in the the morning through at the at mid midday in the afternoon that god's word would just be something that is constantly present at the forefront of our mind Uh, that doesn't mean that we necessarily have the bible open and are reading it but that we've maybe committed scriptures to memory or we've read something in the morning that we just think about throughout the day and we we contemplate and we meditate on throughout the day but that there would be these regular times of engaging God's word, of being aware of God's word. God, David says that if, if, you, if you're a blessed person, if, you, if there's this joy to your life, and that's what really that, that word blessed means happy. Satisfied is the person who meditates on God's word day and night at regular intervals throughout the day and throughout the week. He goes on to say that this person, this blessed person, that meditates on God's word, that it it delights in the law of the Lord. He says that this person is like someone who is planted by a stream. The picture here is that of a tree, not just any tree, a fruit tree. You can figure out whatever fruit is your favorite. You can, in your mind's uh, mind's eye, in your imagination, you can picture a a tree. I I don't don't know about you, when I read the Psalms, I, uh, the, 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 
pictures that come to mind are pretty consistent for me. In fact, the, the stream here in, the, in Psalm 1 is the same stream that I see in the 23rd Psalm. They're, they're one and the same. And so I, I have a stream that I picture and I, I see the little valley and the green grass. And then there's this beautiful tree planted right by the stream where its roots go deep and are able to draw that water from the stream to be, to be able to be nourished. And, and David is saying here that this person has been established like a tree planted by the stream where their roots are being nourished, where their roots are strong and solid, where, where the, the roots are able to draw up that nourishment both from the soil and from the water. And he says this person is fruitful and prosperous, that they are fruitful and prosperous, that their leaves do not wither, that, that, that there's no sign of decay in this tree, that this tree is strong, that this tree is abundant. It says whatever they do prospers and it yields its fruit in season. You see, the person who commits themselves to being in the word of God on a regular basis, in a regular rhythm, will be like a tree that is established that you will draw from a never-ending stream, a never-ending source of refreshing and refreshment in your life. And it will cause you to be strong. It will cause you to withstand uh, the, the, the heat and uh, the, those leaves that would wither as the sun would beat on them. If they are fully nourished, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are around them. They will stand strong. God says, if we will be a people who are committed to his word, being in his word, that we will be established in that way. That we'll have strong roots, strong branches, leaves that do not wither, that we would be refreshed and nourished in his presence and from his word. And I love this, that we would see fruit produced in our lives. In fact, in a few weeks after Easter, I'm going to be starting a new series where we're going to talk about the fruit of the the Spirit. What does it look like to be someone who is fruitful in the kingdom of God? So just a, a, a note for about what's coming up ahead that this person, this blessed person, this happy person is, is one who is fruitful and prosperous. That everything they do, whatever they do, prospers because they are so grounded. Later on in Psalm 119 verses 9 through 11, the psalmist writes this. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You hear the cry of the psalmist here. Lord, I want to walk in your ways. I want to walk in step with you. I don't want to go off the path. I don't want to lose my way. I don't want to stray into places I shouldn't be. God, I want to be with you. And, and, and hear the cry here. It's not, Lord, I, I, just keep me from those things. But it's this, God, I want to be with you. I want to be in a place of purity with you in this beautiful relationship that you have invited me into. God, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The psalmist here showing us how scripture, that how, how the regular engagement with scripture, not just reading it, but even committing it to our hearts, committing it to memory in our lives, being able to, throughout the day, recall scripture 
and, and, and be able to speak it out, even in our conversations, that scripture would come out. I was just talking to, to someone this week who is, is, is new, uh, new in their faith, new to their relationship with the Lord. And they were just saying how in every conversation, how they just want to talk about Jesus, how I just want to talk about the word of God. And I got so pumped up. I was so excited because I, I started thinking about my own life, thinking, here I am as a pastor. How often does that happen for me? How often is my speech just it just peppered with and, and just, just you know, that, that there, there's scripture. I can't even get the words. There's scripture just interwoven and thoughts about who God is and everything I do. I think we can get so locked into the busyness of life that we can miss that. The psalmist says that we need to hide God's word in our hearts so that we would not stray, that we would not sin against him. See, God's word functions as a set of guardrails for us to understand what is right, what is wrong, where are we supposed to live our lives. In fact, he goes on in verse 105 of Psalm 119, and he says this. This is a passage that's probably familiar to most of us. He says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Another beautiful metaphor here of the practicality and the timeliness of God's word that in the midst of darkness, in the midst of dark times, whether that's in the culture and the society around us, whether that's in our own souls, whether there's things that we're dealing with that are are bringing just a, a darkness and a heaviness in our lives, God says this, that my word is a lamp for your feet and a light for your path, that God will illuminate the dark places in our lives and in our culture and in our relationships and in our circumstances, that he will bring light into those dark, dark places. And, you know, it's amazing how much darkness and fear really are tied together, that, that those two so often go hand in hand, that we would not be a people of fear, not because we, we just oh, I don't fear, don't fear. The more we say it, somehow it magically will happen. No, fear is dispelled in the presence of the light when the darkness is dispelled by the presence of God, by his word being a light to our feet and to our path. Later on still in Psalm 119, it's a great psalm. 119 verse 130, uh, he writes this, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple that God illuminates things, he brings things into the light that once, once we're in the darkness, that things that we didn't understand, where our, our, our thinking was clouded, where our judgment was clouded, that God says, I will bring illumination, I will bring understanding to the simple. And I just, I can insert myself right in there. I say, God, I, so often, I am simple-minded. I, I think I know the answer, but then I turn to your word and you show me a different way that you bring understanding that I could not have on my own, that we would all have that heart to say, God, I want to I wanna know at a deeper level. If we turn to the New Testament, we see in the life of Jesus, Jesus reiterates this in, in numerous places, but one that stands out to me is when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the desert. He's just been baptized in the Jordan River by his cousin John. He's heard the voice of the Father declaring, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit is descended upon him as a dove. And it says that he was then led into the desert where he was tempted for 40 days. And, and at the very first point of temptation, 
At the very first point of opposition in Jesus's life by the enemy, this is what he says. It is written, this is in Matthew 4, 4. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but, uh, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We live, you and I live on every word that comes from the word, uh, from the mouth of God, rather. We need to live that God's word, the word that he has breathed out for us, is life to us. That we have to think in, ter- in those terms, that God's word is life. God's word is, just say that with me, God's word is life. So we need to learn those words, church. If God's word is life, we need to learn those words. We need to listen to those words. We need to cling to those words. And as as the psalmist said, we need to hide those words in our hearts. Jesus here saying, we don't live on bread alone, but we live according to the word on every word that comes from the Lord. And so we see the incredible importance of God's word to have this rhythm where we are in the word. See, we... We gain wisdom really in one of two ways. We gain wisdom through our own experience or we gain wisdom through the experience of others. We can learn in both ways. Now, your own personal experience is, is a great teacher if, if you will allow it to be. And most things, a lot of things are really best learned when we experience them ourselves. But I'm gonna tell you, there's certain things I would rather take someone's word for. Like if someone says to me, hey, if you fall off your bicycle when you're doing 20 miles an hour, it's going to hurt really badly. I'm going to take their word for it. I'm not going to go, well, I, you know, I don't believe you. I'm going to go test that out for myself. No, I, I'm going to listen to their wisdom. I'm going to listen to their experience, and I want to learn from that, uh, that experience. And so we gain wisdom and we gain understanding through our own experience and through the experience of others. And this is so true when we think about the word of God, when we understand what the Bible is and how God is, has written it, that God didn't just write a, a, a one-dimensional book that we have in scripture, we have historical books, we have poetic books, we have prophetic books, we have the gospels, we have the epistles, we have all of these different styles of writing and different ways that God has expressed his love to us and tells the story of the kingdom of God. And so we get to learn through this experience. Paul writes in Romans 15, four, he says, for everything that was written in the past, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement we, they provide, we may have hope. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures, that's the experience, the endurance of those who have gone before us, those who have walked in the ways of God, the things that they walk through, the endurance of the people in, in the word of God that we learn about, those things that are taught in the scripture and the encouragement that they provide, that God's word, as we read about the lives of others and the experience of others, that we would be encouraged in our own heart. Well, what does it do? What does it produce in us? It produces hope. 
Because what does the enemy want to do? He wants to rob us of any kind of hope. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to take us out of a place of hopefulness and into a place of despair. To think, you know what? I'm the only person dealing with this. I'm the only person that's walked through this. I'm isolated. He, he separates us. But when we come to the word of God, that we would read about the lives and the experiences of others who walked in the ways of the Lord, and we would realize, wow, they endured. They walked through so much. I can be encouraged. I can have hope in my life. You see, in Scripture, we have some of the most amazing teachers available to us. You, right now, in Scripture, have the most amazing teachers available to you. You have, you have a teacher of Joseph, the, the amazing faith of Joseph. You can learn about the boldness of Esther, the, the leadership and the commitment of David, the heart of worship, for those of you who are worshipers, the, the heart of worship in most of the Psalms are songs written by David to, to pour out his heart before the Lord. The wisdom of Solomon, Proverbs is a great way to start in the word. To read a, a one chapter of Proverbs a day, there's 31 chapters, one chapter a day, uh, to learn from the wisdom of Solomon. To, the, the passion, the passion and the eagerness of Peter the, the transformation of the life of Paul, and on and on it goes. Imagine this. Imagine if you had the opportunity to learn uh, for an hour each day in an area that you're passionate about. That if you know if you if you're an athlete, if you love baseball, that a, a, a professional baseball player says to you, "I will take one hour a day for a year." One hour a day, and I will work with you. I will work with you on your swing and, and on your pitching and on your catching and whatever, whatever else. Or maybe you're a musician. What if a famous musician said to you, I will take one hour a day for a year, and I will spend that time teaching you and training you in what I know. Maybe you're like uh, those in my family where we love to cook. What if a, a world-class cordon bleu train chef said to you, uh, for free, I will sit, sit with you for an hour and I will invest in your life and teach you. If you received that offer, I don't think many of us would say, you know, I don't think so, I'm good. We would jump at that opportunity. So of course, where I'm going with this is this. We have that and more available to us in the word of God. And this is where that rhythm, where we would take an hour 20 minutes, 15 minutes to be in God's word, to receive from him, to receive this practical, timely, spirit-led infusion of understanding and wisdom, wisdom in our lives. Church, I guarantee it will transform the way you live. It will transform the way you live. All right, some application and we'll close. So when it comes to restoring this rhythm of meeting in God's word, what are some of the practical ways that we can do this? And I'll tell you, there are numerous approaches, there are numerous methods, and you may have something that already works for you. And I want to encourage you, if that's you, keep going for it. But I also want to say this, it doesn't hurt sometimes to switch it up a little bit, to change it up a little bit. If you've been practicing the same method for a long time, try something a little bit different. And maybe it'll prompt new ways of thinking and new perspectives in the word of God. I also want to encourage all of us in this. There are some great devotional books. Um, 
the, the day-by-day journal that Pete Scazzaro wrote is incredible. My Utmost for His Highest, Jesus Calling. There's some great devotional books. But I want to encourage you, make sure that your primary intake is the Word of God. That you start with the Word of God and then we supplement. Then we add some of those other voices, which is a great thing to do. But start with the Word of God and let God speak to you directly. Some of the methods and the approaches include reading through the Bible in a year, starting in Genesis and reading to Revelation and just kind of working your way through. And a lot of people love to do that. For some people, they love to just study one book at a time and spend a few weeks or a month in one book of the Bible and read one chapter a day or a few chapters a day and kind of ingest the word that way. For some people, it works better to use a reading plan or a devotional reading plan. Um, and, and those usually will kind of have a mix of the Old Testament and the New Testament. I know some like the, the Life Journal reading plan will do, uh, if you follow that one, uh, you can go through the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice in one year. And it's not a lot of reading, about half an hour reading. You can read through the Old Testament once, the, the New Testament twice, and I believe the Psalms and Proverbs twice in a year. doesn't take a lot of time. One that I've really enjoyed and we've talked about, we used this last year with our God is reading, uh, journal reading, and we've been uh, really using this for, for about a year and a half now here at Thrive Church. One that I've really come to love is called Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina is just one way, one approach, one method of studying the Word of God. And uh, it's a, one of the things I love about Lectio is it's slowed down. And some of you are already doing Lecti- Lectio using this this method, and, and if that's you, that's awesome, that's great. If, if you're interested in this, by the way, um, I'm gonna give a short, brief overview, um, but I've included in the notes today uh, a more expanded outline and more expanded view of what Lectio is. And by the way, the Lectio Divina uh, journal app is available on, uh, on the App Store. It's completely free, and you can actually use that. You can read the scripture in it, you create an account, uh, and you can take notes right in the app, uh, or you can just use it as a reference to be able to write in your own journal. The link for that is also available in the notes today, and so check that out. Um, but Lectio really is a slowed-down approach to being in Scripture, and I think that's one of the things in our culture that's so necessary, that we can be in such a rush that we get to the Word of God and we go, oh, I quickly need to read my Bible. Rather than saying, God, I want to be in your presence, would you speak to me through my word? And so here's the elements that are involved in, in Lectio. If, if you've heard this before, let this be a refresher. If this is new for you, uh, just receive this, and, and I pray that you're encouraged by it. So Lectio starts with this. It starts with setting aside time to, 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 be, to be with the Lord, to pick a time of the day and to find a place where you can just be uh, alone or to be in a quiet spot. And as you come to with your Bible and your journal, that you would start just by being silent, that there would be uh, a, a time of silence, taking 60 seconds or a couple of minutes to just sit quietly in the presence of the Lord, to quiet your heart uh, and, and your mind before the Lord, because there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in our hearts and in our minds, and so we want to just quiet ourselves before the Lord. The other thing is in the midst of silence, we want to become aware 
of his presence, that God is with you, that we don't want to come to his word and forget that God is with us. So in that moment of silence that we become aware of his presence, and then in the midst of silence that we would prepare our hearts to receive from God. Once we've spent some time in silence, that we then move on to the reading, to the Lectio, and then whatever the passage is for that day, that you would read it, and you would read it slowly and read it out loud and, and repeat that reading. So read it three or four or maybe even five times to, to read it out loud, to, to read it slowly, paying attention to the words, understanding what's being said. And as you're reading, and the, the slow part of this is this, that we wouldn't rush through, but that we would read slowly and we would wait for God to speak to our souls. And as we read, that we would then turn to reflection, to meditation. And we'd ask these questions. Well, what stands out? What words? Are there any words or phrases or ideas contained in this passage that are standing out to me that I need to pay attention to? And then you would write those down. And it might just be a couple of words. It might be a paragraph. It might be a whole sentence. You might embellish some of it and, and write some, thing, some extra thoughts there. But whatever, there's no wrong way but to just write down what is it that God stirs in your heart as you come to his word, expecting that he would speak to you. And then after you've written down, after you've meditated uh, on, on, on God's word, after you have reflected on his word, that you would then respond, that you would respond in, in, a, in the form of prayer because God's speaking to you. And if someone's speaking to you, what do you do? You respond to them. If someone's having a conversation with you, you respond to them. God is speaking to you, so respond to him. Pray out loud and respond to him about what you've just been, what's been stirred in your heart. You can even say, God, I don't understand this. God, I don't don't know what this means for my life right now. God, help me understand a little bit more. God, thank you for that promise from your word. You get the idea that you would speak to God and respond to him. And I would even encourage you, write that prayer in your journal. Write it down. Write down what, what that response is. And, and maybe there's even a point of application or, or a point of action that you need to take and say, God, you're telling me I need to do this. I need to call this person. I need to take this step and, and write that down so you can, you can journal that, you can document that. And then the final step would be this. In the same way we start in silence, that you would end your time with the Lord in rest and just say, God, I just want to rest in your presence for a minute, for a few minutes, to rest in his presence, to receive from him and allow the seed, the word that has been sown into your life to take root. Just one practical tool. Like I said, there are so many others. You might have something that works for you, but I want to encourage you, church, be in the regular rhythm of being in God's word and allow him to refresh and restore and renew your, your, your soul to be like that tree planted by the stream that draws that water up, that bears fruit in its season, that does not wither, that God would cause you to prosper. Let's close in prayer. Jesus, I thank you that you desire to speak to us, to teach us, to correct us, to rebuke us, to train us, to express your love for us, and that you do that through your word. So I pray, Lord, as your children, that we would turn our hearts to you, that we would allow your word just to wash over us daily, that we would find that place, find that time to be with you in your presence, 
to allow your spirit to touch our hearts and our minds, to, to gain wisdom and understanding. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your invitation to join you in the dance. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. Have a wonderful day and an amazing week. We look forward to seeing you next week.